Hi, welcome to Matters of the Heart and Soul. I'm your host, Janie Charlotte. Matters of the Heart and Soul is a podcast to raise awareness and awaken humanity to all that is within. We want to be a beacon of light on your life journey. Hey everyone, this is Russell with Matters of the Heart and Soul podcast. Today I went solo without the beautiful co-host Janie Charlo to handle some man business. And today I spoke with elder brother Takuna El Shabazz out of Lafayette, Louisiana. And we tackled the topic of the state of black manhood. Also one of the questions that I've been asking for many years now when does a boy become a man if there's no rites of passage? Also, we talked about economics, black female and male relationships, and also the role that religion and spirituality play within our community. So this was very power packed. I hope you enjoy it. So please like, share, and subscribe, and I'll see you on the other side. All right, welcome to Matters Heart and Soul podcast. This is your host, Russell Bruce. Today I'm going solo. My beautiful co host and queen, Miss Janie Charlo, today is going to let us handle some man business here. I think it's long overdue. And I have a special guest here on the show who I'm sure is going to deliver the goods. Today we have with us elder and brother. Takuna L. Shabazz from Lafayette, Louisiana. He's a former school teacher, 28 years, social activist, real estate developer, owner and broker of Kiwatu Real Estate. He's also the founder and chairperson of CCBE, which is Conscientious Council of Black Elders. He's a public speaker, presenter, and the author of the book, uh, Black I Am, Cajun Creole I'm Not, which we'll discuss a little bit later. And also, he's outreach minister at Imani Temple Number Forty Nine in Lafayette, Louisiana. He's hosted television and radio shows entitled "No More Lies," and he's a humble Muslim brother who cares about the black community and will advocate to uplift people by any means necessary. Once again, welcome to the show, my brother. Thank you for inviting me, brother. Uh, it is my pleasure and my honor to spend some time with you to discuss the concerns that we both see that exist in our community. I would like to uh, begin with your permission, if you don't mind. I would like to begin by making an opening statement that I often make with our people every opportunity I get. And that is, I'd like to introduce myself as Takuna Malana El Shabazz, a runaway slave whom by the grace of Allah has declared my own freedom and is now fighting for yours. I cling to the status of Kuji Chagalia, self-determination, which means to define, name, and speak for self rather than be defined, name, and spoken for by others. I make that statement publicly every opportunity I get, brother, because I believe this embraces and captures the essence of what we are doing here on this show uh, today. I make that statement because 
it is obvious that I was not on a physical plantation. I am not old enough to claim that to be a truth, but I am a runaway slave because I believe that if you're black and you live in the North or you live in the South, you live on the East Coast or the West Coast or anywhere in Middle America, if you're black and you think like a slave and act like a slave, you will make your plantation wherever you are. So our goal and effort here today is to help some of us run away or escape the mental plantation that has been forced upon us by giving us relevant information, listening to meaningful dialogue that will give us the means in order to make that mental escape so that we can be the best beautiful and black people that we can be. That's brilliant. And I have no problems with that introduction, my brother. So today, what we want to do is we want to tackle several things here. One, I had this ongoing question, which I haven't seemed to have gotten a great answer from. So I figure I had to go to my elders to, to get the answers. And one of the questions is, when does a boy become a man if there's no rites of passage? You know, in our Mayafa here in the Northern Hemisphere, it seems as if we've lost so much, which, you know, no one can even argue that. But a lot of our traditional uh, methods to bringing a boy into to manhood no longer exists. So we have a bunch of males running rampant in the streets of North America, disguising themselves as men, and our communities are turned upside down. And you know, we put a lot of pressure on our women to step in and fill the void as fathers and as men when that's not the way the Most High designed it. So that's one of the things I want to tackle. And also just the overall state that you see currently with our people, but in particularly Black men, Black manhood. Can you speak on that, my brother? Yes, sir. First of all, let me say, when I saw that particular statement from you asking the question, when does a boy become a man? Uh, that was a, a meaty kind of concept that got me to thinking in more ways than one. And I thought it was such a relevant question. And let me attempt to answer that by saying, first of all, to become a man is not a special event, but a process. That process has been interrupted for black people, for black boys, because of the destruction of the family. The process begins with the family values and what is taught in the family values. Our model there of a black father being a man, a nurturing mother, taking a boy from, uh, from birth to a certain age, nurturing him, giving him the concept of what a good woman is and what a good mother is, and taking that and utilizing the experience of that boy where he gets at a certain point where he begins to demonstrate the values of a man. Now, what are those values that are abstractly looked for. A man by nature is a provider, a protector, and a producer. Much 
of what we missing in black men is the inability to fulfill those three requirements. And when one or all is missing, it is not possible for us to see a man as we should. We live in a society that treats manhood and boyhood as a special event. It is not a special event, it is a process. So in the European society in which we live, you're a man at 18, whether you think like a man, act like a man, or have the responsibilities of a man. Because the society says that once you reach 18, your actions will be dealt with as an adult, whether you understand yourself as an adult or not. So we have a conflict as Black people. We understand the age of 18 being a process in which your centric uh, uh, forces will come against you, your actions, whether you understand those actions or not. And then we have the reality that we must face because our process of becoming a man has been interrupted in many cases destroyed. We have today uh, 40 year old boys and we have 16 and 17 year old men who have taken on the responsibility of being a provider, a protector and a producer. Much of this is linked to some of the activities that are illegal in our community from young brothers who say, I will not submit myself to any form of disgrace and slavery and decide to do something illegal in order to try to fulfill those three requirements of what it takes to be a man. So a man is nurtured over a period of time. And when the wise elders of the community recognize and need for that wisdom to be independent and begin to act as a man, they go through a rites of passage process to help them single out and to identify and to stand firm on the ability and the possibility of becoming a man. Well, we have no such process here in America. So when we have rites of passage program, and I don't down them because I think that they provide good services and I think they do some good things. And I think right messages come from that. But it would be a mistake to think that if we have a rites of passage program that is based on some Eurocentric understanding of ourselves that somehow we can achieve manhood. And when we look at the behavior of black men, as you stated, much of the responsibility of the man has been forced upon the woman. So the woman is more of a provider and a protector and a producer and not just a nurturer for the family. So the black man needs to stand up or shut up. We need to understand the concept of being a mental slave and living under the forces of a people who have totally desecrated our process of understanding ourselves. So when we look at the family and we look at the homes, we have more black women that are head of the household for many reasons. This is not by accident. This is not uh, uh, something that just by happenstance, but it's designed to keep the black man a boy. And let me say this, just one last thing. Most black men, and regardless of their economic status, 
most black men, not all, but most, they leave home at eight o'clock in the morning if they have a job. And most black men, even in corporate America, have to consider converting to a boy from eight to five to maintain that job. They cannot express themselves as a real black man because it offends or threatens the white environment in which they're trying to belong to. So from eight to five, they have to revert to being a boy. And then they come back home at five and try to insert some type of manhood feeling unfulfilled, feeling embarrassed, feeling uh, neglectful of their own responsibility of being a man, and sometimes take it out on their children, sometimes take it out on their wives. Um, this is what we're dealing with. So we're gonna build real black men. We have to understand what it takes to make real black men. And certainly the rights of passage program is part of a formula, but it is not a complete response to the needs of building black men out of young boys. Brilliant response, my brother. That's the best one I heard yet. I love it. So, you know, you, you said a mouthful there. So a lot of it, like you said, is a social engineering process, you know, that we are caught up in. And, um, you know, whether it be economic, religious, spiritual, or what have you, it seems like every turn, you know, there are all these hurdles that we have to jump over. So, but one, one of the things that I found in, in my sojourn was getting that strong knowledge of self. And in doing so, it, it kind of opened up the doors and kind of gave me, you know, the equipment you know, to, to deal with these things on all these different levels, right? So without getting too, too winded, like one of the things growing up in a Baptist church where there's nothing but black people in the church, but there's a picture of a white savior up on the wall and, you know, everybody's saying that this is the son of God. So in my little four or five-year-old mind, okay, if that's the son of God, then God has to be some white man. So something didn't sit right with my soul at that time, even as a, as a young, as a young guy. And, you know, I've had some experiences as a young guy that were supernatural that I know the church wasn't even ready to deal with, you know, they'll write it off as a devil because they can't explain it, but it was a very positive thing that occurred. So from that point on is like, I just could never really gravitate toward it. And I always seemed to gravitate toward like metaphysical, spiritual things because I knew that that reality was real. But, right. but saying that, um, getting that knowledge of self, going back, studying the, the history of my people, going back through not only Africa, but really here in the Americas, there's still some great stories that are left untold in Americas and every continent on the face of the earth it took me back through my people and to the angels and through the origin of all the religions. Like there, there's start dates for all these things, but I'm talking about way beyond that. It's like once I connected with that and seeing that there really is no birth record for our people, it goes all the way back to God. And with that, it helped me understand that 
it's not so much that we're hated, we're feared. And I know why we're feared. So, you know, with that said, and looking at the current state of, of our people, what would you consider, like, knowledge itself, like, how important is it for us to know who we are? Brother, that is the oldest and most profound statement that our ancestors, wise ancestors, have left with us. Before you do anything, know thyself. Yes, sir. Everything you do as an individual, everything that you uh, claim that you love or do not love starts with the knowledge of the truth of self. Everything emanates from you. So when you have a fractured understanding of your history or no understanding of your history, no understanding of yourself, how can you love yourself as a black man? How can you use the adjectives that we use in terms of love and, 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 and respect you know, for each other if we don't love and respect ourselves? It is a fundamental need that we know ourselves first. In other words, freedom, brother, starts with self. You must free yourself before you get about the business of trying to free somebody else. Because you, out of ignorance, sometimes we are locked up in our own self-made jail based on our mental ability of not understanding the truth of who we are. And here we are we're trying to free somebody else. So fundamentally, our ancestors gave us that phrase for a reason, know thyself, because everything emanates from that truth. And you will respond to the world, to your wife, to your children, to your work situation, to your priorities, your value system is gonna be based on what you know about yourself and how you value that, 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 that important a perspective of who you are. And black people may look black in many cases, but they don't act black. They don't act black because they are lacking the knowledge of themselves. And because we are lacking a knowledge of ourselves, we can't truly give a fair assessment of our work toward real black activism. We can't even uh, pretend that we have a happy black family when everything in your house and everything that you do is based on a Eurocentric concept. You're not a black person. You're just a person that looks black, that's melanated, that have not yet freed yourself mentally, and therefore you are always going to be handicapped economically, politically, socially, and uh, 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 spiritually. So we have to expand uh, uh, that question to a form of action daily to remind ourselves and to accept, first of all, that we may not be ourselves, but we got to ask the question, how did we get there? And are we man enough and woman enough once we know better to do better to reverse that current reality? Thanks. <laughs> so, you know, like just piggybacking off what you said that you can't you can't really go out and help other people till you help yourself that's the first thing they tell you on an airplane like if the cabin pressure begins to drop first thing you need to do is 
let, let the mask drop down, put it on yourself first before you go to help anybody else. Because if you don't help yourself, you're not going to be in any condition to help anybody else. Yes. And that's yes. almost like, you know, beware of the man offering clothing, the naked man offering clothing, you know? Yes. And, you know, I think a lot, and we could kind of go into relationships because I think in a lot of cases you see where you have a person who doesn't love themselves and they're trying to get somebody else to love them. Like they can't spend 10 minutes alone in silence with themselves. They really have no capacity to love themselves. And they may not have been loved. It may not all be their fault. So it's like, they don't even know what love looks like. So it's like, how do you see it playing out in our relationships? This lack of love of self and trying to relate to one another. Well, first of all, brother, because of our mental conditioning as a people, we've been engineered against our very nature. Uh, I think that before I say anything more, let me, let, let me state very clearly that in spite of our condition, we must learn to love and help each other in spite of ourselves sometimes. Because when we try to do good, those of us who know and study, sometimes our biggest resistance appear to be people who look like us. So therefore, we are left in a dilemma that uh, the oppressor of both of us put us in. But if one of us understand and we fall prey to what the white man has set up to happen almost on an automatic basis, then we lose because we do not know how to bridge the gap between us. So we must be patient with one another, but not to the fault of not being productive. So how does this play out in relationships? By nature, a black man uh, is not who he, who he is in America as he should be. A woman, a black woman is not who she really is in America because she sees herself in a way in which was fashioned by the slave masters of both of us. But a black woman by nature looks to see God in a man. And God simply means force, power. And when a man can fulfill his role as a man, then he can't be a provider, he can't be a protector, and he can't be a producer. And you live in a society that has elevated the black woman over the black man. And she has come in many cases to evaluate manhood of a black man by the size of his wallet or his bank account. She is now placed in a position as though she, in order to prove herself as a woman, she has to prove herself that she can outman a man. And that a man is not able to do what he needs to do. So he submits to a woman in a manner which is unhealthy. I think the divine, the divine nature of a woman can bring out the best in a black man when properly understood. And it's to her benefit to do so because by nature, when a strong black woman understands her nature, she understands that part of her responsibility is to bring that foolish man around. And when she brings that man around to her and she has a real black man, 
then her nature, her requirements as a woman is also being filled. We don't understand things like that in this Eurocentric society. So therefore you have black women in relationships that believe that their criteria for a man is based on his wallet size or, or whether he can cooperate or, 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 or assimilate in corporate America or assimilate with white people. And that is such a demeaning and devastating blow to repairing and to organizing the black family. We, we see this manifest itself in the way we dress, the way we talk, what we value. Uh, listen, we can play all the games we want, brother, but there is some realities we just can't deny. We're here in America, not because we came on a vacation and came on, a, on some flight or some a cruise ship. We came here in the holes of ships as slaves. Our great, great grandmothers and grandfathers were whipped. They were raped. They were misused and abused in every way imaginable. That fashioned in the minds of black people, a kind of black man today that does not know or appreciate himself as a black and African person. So because of this, we don't rely on the ways of our ancestors to bring us through moments in our relationship that have been proven to be so wealth, uh, uh, wealthy for us in terms of maintaining our relationships. So black women today and black men today don't know each other as they should. It comes back to the very thing you said earlier know thyself. When you see a black man and a black woman engaging uh, uh, simultaneously in search of themselves, they will find more commonality in terms of what they like, what they need to do, how to raise their children, how to treat one another, how to mutually respect and coexist as a family. When you have a black woman that is more interested in her career and her physical vanity, and she expects a black man who is not yet a black man, but an older boy with a good job, then that relationship has problems surviving because it becomes the material aspects of life that turns on or turns off that relationship. So black men and black women need to step back and say, I need to find who I am as a black man. I need to appreciate you as a black woman. I'm gonna study you and I'm gonna study me. And somewhere in the middle of all of that, brother, the divine spirit will descend on that relationship. And much of our dilemma as black couples in relationship would be answered and solved. If not solved, it would certainly give uh, uh, the foundation that much of our dilemma could be addressed in different ways than we address them now. Good stuff. So, so with the rise or the return of the divine feminine, you know, on a global scale, uh, how do you see that playing out? Like we see a, a lot of women taking positions of power throughout the world, becoming prime ministers and mayors and senators and, and, and things of such. And we see that the powers that be within this society, they're anti-women. They're, 
they're anti the, the feminine, the divine feminine. So what should be our role in either protecting or uplifting or helping see this come about? Not that I'm saying that, you know, women should come and rule, but we need to go back to where that whole masculine and feminine energy, the whole yin and yang, where it's in synchronicity again, like it was in the ancient world. Like it, it wasn't just men who ruled or just women who ruled. We really relied upon the queen mother, you know, yes. and the warrior, you know, and the black man was really feared throughout the world. He was, he was on top of the world at one point. And, and yes. we're, we're in this position you know, and it's not that we're on some quest to go out and conquer the world. It's like, I think that in due time, God will level out the playing field. Yes, sir. Everybody had come to the reality that there's really only one being on this planet and we're all black and we all originated from the same place. So, but anyway, where do you see uh, the man's role in helping bring about protect this divine feminine rise? Well, first of all, brother, I think that we need to uh, uh, repeat some of what I just said, and that is, first of all, the black man needs to, uh, and the black woman needs to recognize that they're not their true selves. That's the first thing. When a black man and a black woman does that, especially the black man, when he sees a strong woman on the rise, sit back and check your ego. If she has a skill set to do something that you're not capable of doing right now, then check your ego. You should support and deal with that woman in that perspective. That does not give the woman to right to pretend that she is now manager of manhood and that she has to prove that she can manage manhood to prove her womanhood. And a man does not have to oppress or suppress the talent and the ability of a woman to prove his manhood. That's a Eurocentric concept. That is not the black and African way of doing things. As you indicated, black women have always done remarkable things in our union as a, as a people. It is only the influence of the Eurocentric world, the Eurocentric value system, that have distorted her role and her ability to do things in respect of a man. And, and, and black men <clears throat> who feel that they have to oppress or feel that their ego cannot handle the progression or the abilities of a black woman need to put themselves in check. You see, because we have black men and black women that are talented and gifted. We have to always constantly, brother, uh, reevaluate what we say and what we do and understand that you cannot operate a black family, a black life, a black woman, a black man from a white Eurocentric conditioning. If you interpret that black man who is black and you apply a Eurocentric uh, uh, mode of uh, operation on him, you're going to get rejection. Listen, let me put it just plain and simple and what we fall for. A duck and a chicken are both fowl. They both belong to the fowl family. A chicken cackles, a duck quacks. Now, when you are told in the European system that they both are alike because they both lay eggs, 
then you'll be quite surprised and disappointed when you sit on a duck egg and a duck comes out if you're a chicken. And if you sit on a chicken egg and, 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 a, and a duck comes out and, and, and vice versa. So when a duck quacks and a chicken cackles, they may be both belonging to the fowl family. But a duck lacks water. That ain't too cool for chickens. Chickens don't want to go that way. But because they belong to the fowl family, there is a uniqueness about the duck, his diet, his way of doing things, and the way of being that is different from the chicken. The chicken must associate and deal with chicken and be concerned about chickenness. And ducks must be concerned about duckness. We have to understand that our uniqueness as a man, our uniqueness as a woman has to be addressed honestly, openly, and fairly so that we can relate to others in our communities, others in our space. I'm not going to try to become a woman to please a woman. I don't want a woman to try to become a man to please a man. We have our uniqueness and that uniqueness draw us together. The divinity of the woman and her purpose in life is partially to deal with a man. Look, brother, you're a man, I'm a man. And I think you'll be able to identify with what I'm about to say. Listen, 95% of what men do, whether they choose to admit it or not, we do it for a woman. We do it in the back of our mind for a woman. You know, listen, we're so lost without the woman that as a boy, many of us probably at the age of 12 or 13 could be accused of maybe striking gold because our teeth would be so yellow we wouldn't even brush our teeth. <laughs> we don't have energy for that. Why? When do we start brushing our teeth? when we see the twinkle in that first little girl that we like. Yeah. She'll get us to brush our teeth. She'll get us to take a bath. She'll get us to do things because our motivation for doing for ourselves is based on having to please a woman. That doesn't change because you become an adult. And that woman is the one who sets up the conditions. God makes you attracted to her so that she'll let you know that she might be attracted to you, but you got to clean up. You got to do better for yourself. And when we become adults, look, brother, that scenario does not change. We get a car because we're trying to please the woman. We dress nice because we're trying to please the woman. We want money in our pocket and we want to be able to financially handle things because we want to please the woman. But when a woman does not understand that and her divinity and her connection to the black man, then she could make a black man or she can destroy a black man. And she can destroy a black man with her mouth, her tongue, and her inability to understand her own power. And for her to submit to her own power, to her own divinity is not weakness, but it's a strength. And it makes her complete and it makes him complete. So what I see in terms of what is going on in our community, brother, I believe that circumstances right now are rising to the point where we are forced to see things we haven't seen before. We are forced to learn things we haven't learned before. So I have more dialogue and conversation with black men and women that are seeking to do just that. 
try to find out more about themselves so that they can improve their own relationship and their own mental state with their own with their own mate with their own children especially black women that are raising young boys brother i i, I could talk to you forever about these uh particular topics i love your answers and your candidness and, and for the sake of time, I'm going to bunch three different things in here and sit back and allow you to speak on it for the sake of time. One is, what do you feel the influence of religion and spirituality is on our dilemma and how can it be used to help liberate us? You know, because they understood that we were a spiritual people and they stood in between us and God. Not only did they colonize the land, they colonized God in our minds. So that's one. The second one, uh, Dr. Claude Anderson said it best. He says that we are trapped at the lowest level of a real life monopoly game in which we came to the table. We were the only group that came to the table with no money. So, therefore, you know, we land on go to jail and renting somebody else's property, et cetera, et cetera. And with your background, I'm sure you can give us some great insight into that particular topic. And um, the third it just slipped my mind, but I'll let you go ahead and attack those two, my brother. Yes. Well, brother, that's a that's a very meaningful, you know, uh, question. Uh, what we call religion is actually a manipulative disguise of a spiritual experience. Religion is a man-made concept. Spiritually, brother, uh, we need to accept the reality that whatever we believe God is, we shape our world around. It does not matter. If you believe God is some spook, some abstract concept, you base your world on this abstract God concept. Because as you say, the slave master has manipulated and have taken advantage of the spiritual nature of black people. So when we get into these religions, we must know that when our great grandmothers and fathers was taken from the shores of Africa, it was 270 years after we were here as slaves being beaten and enslaved and, and raped, that the white man changed his strategy for controlling us. Before that time, we could not discuss any form of spiritual growth or development or any religion coming from Africa. So he shut it off for 270 years. And then he realized, wait a minute, no matter what I do to these Negroes, I beat them, I kill them, I rape them. They're still singing some kind of song to some kind of God. So he said, well, wait a minute. Let's not lose that kind of control. Let's give them a religion, paint God white, and we can control them through religion. So when they see God, they see me. They see us. They see white people. They see white communities. So if we can indoctrinate a God, indoctrinate a religion, control what they understand, then we can control them through religion. 
So our religions today, the multitudes of religions that we have, is an offshoot of that mentality. For us not to recognize that in our different religious denominations is why we fuss and fight. Because we want to uh, attach ourselves to half-truths and lies that they told us as they distort the Bible and distort other scriptures that Black folks had and make us fight about some superficial understanding of a God. They give you the white Jesus when everything is not going right. You know, all you got to do is fall on your knees and pray to this white Jesus. Well, that has caused and still caused today much of the division as to why black people cannot organize. Because whatever you think about who your God is, that's the world you will build around you. And if you think that I'm offending you and your God, then you can't do economics with me. You can't do political things with me. You can't socialize with me. You can't work collaboratively with me on any projection that's good for the community because I've offended your God. So the white man has been slick in using religion to keep us divided. It is a hustle in the black community. Many of the black preachers, they may say good things and they may say good words, but it's a hustle because they're exploiting the ignorance of our people. They're also exploiting the half truths of history that white folks gave to us. Some of them know better and they just don't wanna do better because the collection plate is too heavy. Some of us sincerely just don't know. And we try and we struggle to try to know better and do better. Those I be patient with. The others, brothers and brothers, we cannot exist or do anything constructive in the black community because of much of the setup and the mentality that comes from the churches. Listen, economically, the church is still the biggest economic independent stream that comes in our community in the billions of dollars per year. Yet, every Monday morning, we put in, in the bank on Monday morning, millions of dollars that come from the black community. And we have no proper relationships with the banking system. We have a handful of banks. We got a hundred supermarkets in America. And I don't know, umpteen churches, a church on every corner. Jesus in Christ, Jesus under Christ, Jesus passed by Christ, Jesus over Christ. Jesus, I don't know where Christ is, but Jesus is here. We got all of these different religions and denominations spewing out some half truth about some religious concepts that keep us blind to our God, not knowing that the real God is in you. Whatever understanding you have about God, if that God does not empower you to be the best of who you are, then I don't want none of that God. But if you call your God peanut butter and jelly, and I observe your behavior, you're a strong black man, you're a strong black woman, you're doing the right thing for yourself and your family, you're engaged in the black community, you're not naive politically, you're not naive spiritually about things, then give me some of that God. Give me some of that peanut butter and jelly God. I don't care what you call your God, is how you behave is the religion that truly states what you represent. And 
for black people, for us being in the economic conditions that we in and with the kind of money that comes to the black churches, we certainly don't have a right perception of God. And therefore we cannot build a world based on true spiritual growth and a power of God that we often speak of with our mouth, but we demonstrate powerlessness in all our churches. Now on the economic front, brother, if black people were to unite based on the truth of themselves, then the byproduct of that would be an economic force that would bring us to a common agenda that we must do for self. Self-determination is innate to any group of people who understands the needs of, of, of their community, such as we, what we have. I don't care what your religion is. I don't care what side of town you stay on. I don't care about any of that. What I do care about is how do you perceive yourself as to that tells me whether I have the ability to work with you, not only for the betterment of yourself, but myself and your people. So economically, we are caught up in a position where we are tricked to constantly depend upon a system economically that has never served us well. So we are constant economic slaves to a system that will not by design allow us to elevate beyond the point of targeted ele elevation or goals that they have set for us. Independence, self-determination, the willingness to work hard and separate ourselves from this economic exploitive system based on these European concepts is the only way that we're gonna be able to address some things economically. I, I, I say to you and I state very clearly that anytime we say we're the first and only in any corporation, we're the first black in this, the first black in that, and we boast on that, it tells me a lot about what you understand about yourself because we are the first people on the, on the face of the earth. We are the mothers and fathers of civilization. Everybody got what they got from us. So when you are given the opportunity to be a first in some corporate setting or some corporate or social setting, and you don't understand the economics behind that, then we are behind in terms of the game of manipulation. Listen, brother, you have black people who boast of being the first this and the first that. But in our hearts of hearts, we know the discrimination, we know the difficulties, we know the, the games we had to run to, 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 to go through in order to, give, to be given that type of classification by our open air. Whenever you spend more time trying to please your enemy, than doing for yourself, you're still a slave. Self-determination is what we need to be about to really make some serious changes in our community. But how can we do that? If we talk about uh, black, buy black programs, I, I, I know you've heard that quite a bit, want to buy black program, And I understand and I respect the concept in terms of what I think they're trying to do. But realistically, how can a buy black program be effective in a community where people look black but don't appreciate themselves as black and African? 
no black product is going to survive in our community. If we can't work economic from the standpoint of loving ourselves, loving our history, loving our culture, being ourselves, then that's an economic that's in quicksand. We have to be able to produce for ourselves. We have to be able to set up conditions for ourselves. We need to think about, if we don't know how, we need to think about independent streams of income. That only comes from a people who have collectively accepted the fact there's a common denominator that we must do. And that is know thyself first. I agree with that 150%, my brother. Know thyself. It was on the temples outside of, you know, all the temples in Egypt and, and throughout the ages, everybody tries to claim it, but we know where it came from. But um, I, I think that once a person knows himself, they'll act accordingly. So I, I think that's priority is getting proper knowledge. But let me say this too. I'm a product of the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad and Minister Farrakhan has echoed these teachings to us in a very succinct and crystallized way. You don't build a community by, by putting up new buildings, by flooding the community with money. You first build a community in the knowledge of themselves. When you take that approach, that people, that community will begin to utilize all of its own energy, its own intelligence, recognize those elements in the community that are good for the community, remove those elements that are not good for the community and build those institutions that are needed in the community that suffice to serve the interests of the people. If we understood that when we start talking about community development, then our approach, our emphasis would be placed on different things than what we see now. You don't have a black bank when you have a building where you got mostly black employees in that bank, but you have a white board that makes the decisions and run the bank just like all the other European banks. You have a black, you have a bank where black people are employed that are managers of a white reality. When we have a black bank, we are in the boardroom, we are able to make decisions about distributing our finances and sharing our finances based on the conditions and the needs of the community in which we, uh, we choose to serve. When we're not doing that, we don't have a black bank. You just got black people managing a white reality because we're not making the decisions in the boardroom. And believe me, and I think you know this, I know you do. The needs of black people economically is much different than the needs of white folks. And we have to approach them differently because of the uniqueness of our situation. Some of us don't believe that if we can even put money in the black bank and trust that bank. You see, some of us uh, need money and any black bank who opens up in the community, they better be realistic. You're gonna have more black people looking to borrow than to save because many of the ones who are in a position maybe to save a few dollars, their degrees have disconnected them from the reality of the struggle of black people and don't trust black people managing their money. So we have a dilemma there economically that we need to understand, excuse me, understand so that we can address 
those concerns in a realistic way. So any institution don't have to be a bank that is run by black people, but the decisions are made as to what the criteria of that institution is to bear to the black, to the black community is not really a black institution. And that goes for our school and some of our colleges who are, who are historically black institutions, supposedly. But many of them who have a white curriculum or white Eurocentric curriculum today that they uh, manifest, then some of our children come from those institutions just as bad in their thinking as from white institutions. Brother, I have never been so disappointed in the last few years as I speak with young black college students all over that, that uh, the idea of nation building is so removed from their minds. They do not want to discuss self-determination. They're more apt to use words like, we need to integrate, we need to love everybody. You know, we need to benefit everybody. We can't have a decent conversation and say, this is what black folks need. This is an agenda I am going to be using to address black folks' concerns. We're not able to do that because much of the institutions that we come from have not conditioned our minds to perceive ourselves and our self-interest in a healthy way. And, and it's un unfortunate the way some of what you just described, some of the young people think that we're the only group of people that think that way. Every, yeah. every, we're the only people that are, we have this, we let's save the world mentality and everybody else is thinking about themselves and their people. And I think that until we, you know, come together, we're not going to get the respect of the greater society until we come together as a people. So we have to continually fight, <clears throat> you know, and, and I like to look back to see what they actually did in Black Wall Street in Oklahoma and also in Charleston back in the day in the 20s because they were thriving. They had their banks and, and all those things popping, you know, and, and of course, you know, the government along with Klan, everybody else came in to destroy it, but we have the capability. Brother, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to move. Don't, don't, don't lose your thought. I'm going to move because my phone is telling me, you better plug me up or I'm going to cut off. So I'm going to move over to a socket. We're not going to lose any conversation. We're going to keep rolling. Okay. And, uh, but I'm just going to plug up and I'm going to respond, you know, to that. Right. Um, okay. Let's see. I, I don't want to lose. <laughs> okay, we're good. Yes, sir. Um, the need to be independent and what we saw in those economic systems like Tulsa, Oklahoma, Black Wall Street. Brother, largely that came about because it was very clear that white folks didn't want us on their side of town. It was very clear that black folks had to do for themselves. It was very clear. The problem was is that black folks, white folks, didn't think that we had it in us. Black folks was motivated by their natural genius that was in them and put together whatever system that was needed in order to make black people win. The uh, conditions that we found uh, during that time motivated black people to do 
just that. But today, white folks first resisted integration. Much of white America resisted integration. Many black folks who have been uh, hoodwinked by the concept of integration fought for integration. White folks realized after forced integration was here, that wait a minute, maybe this is the best thing that happened because now we have black folks not appreciating, not appreciating, uh, appreciating their community, their individuality, their strength, they're working together as a group and they're striving to be with us. All we got to do is let a few in the community, let a few here, a few there, and we set the standard for their success. So we begin to close our own institutions or not fight very hard, to maintain them. We begin to devalue our own community. We move out. Before integration, we had professional communities. We had our problem. Yes, we had our problem, we had our struggles, but those communities were vital to the collective growth of black communities. Now, under the concept of integration, uh, unless black folks are involved and unless we are dealing from a perspective that uh, pleases uh, uh, white people, we don't think that we have anything that is worthy. We have devalued our own history, devalued our own culture. We have devalued everything that made a black Wall Street possible during the day of so-called segregation. Now, when I tell that to people, they say, well, what, what are you saying? You, you, you wanna go back to the days of segregation? No, I'm saying that we can deal with the realities that segregated laws are not to be imposed. But that does not mean that we need to give up our individual history, culture, and, 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 and talents as a black people to live with white people, to prove our worthiness. And this is what integration has done. So today you have uh, black entrepreneurs, you have uh, professional people, you have educated people today that are caught up into integrated circumstances and situations. And even if they know better, they can't do better for their own people because their, their job is tied into putting food on the table you know, maintaining a, a, a relationship with the corporate structure that pays your check. There is very little talk, very little need for independence, but I must say in all honesty, in the last few years, especially uh, since uh, uh, Trump got in the office, oh, it scared the hell out of many of us. And I've not heard so much black talk in the last few years, uh, uh, before that, the last 10 years. You know, it was, it is, it is a phenomenon that we must recognize. Oftentimes we don't do things because we understand it intelligently, the thing to do for us. We have to be motivated by some, by some devil in order for us to act right. And that's what, that's what we do. So, but that's part of our conditioning. That's part of our indoctrination. You know, and we have to understand that. So as I acknowledge this with our people, I understand to the tremendous amount of patience that we must have to turn some of these things around. But I must say, brother, the most challenging group are the, the religious group, 
and the so-called educated group in order to deal with because their, their mindset is so inundated with the kind of uh, uh, white folks rhetoric uh, that they can't see the value of being black. And, and I have to agree with you on that, my brother. So we're getting uh, close to the hour. So let's talk about your book and how people can actually get it. Well, my, first of all, the title of my book is Black I Am, Cajun Creole, I Am Not. And uh, you can go to my website, get the book at ccbe.weebly.com. That's ccbe.weebly, W-E-E-B-L-Y.com. And you will find not only my book there, but you will also find a host of information and tapes and it's an informational site that could uh, use, be used for educational purposes. Um, my book is basically centered on the idea that um, uh, we have a right to be self-determined and that our history and our culture is essential for us to be self-determined. We're dealing with a situation here in the Lafayette area where uh, my book, um, they falsely tried to portray it as an argument about a mascot of a university, uh, which has a mascot raising cages. Uh, but it's far beyond a mascot. It's a form of taxation without representation, misuse and abuse of tax dollars, culture genocide. It is a form of colonialism that is being imposed on black people. And why do I say that? Because Cajun, the term Cajun and the term nigger are synonymous racial slur words. In other words, when a black man or black woman was called a nigger by a white person, the most potent and rhetorical response that that person could give to a white person that would be just as hurtful and harmful was to call that person a Cajun. So now they have cleaned up the word for their own purposes. I say, hooray to you, clean it up. But it could never be cleaned up enough to be placed on black people and their accomplishments and utilizing their tax dollars to promote this and make us co-conspirators and our own cultural and historical alienation. It's cultural piracy that is taking place. So the book actually brings out those facts as well as encourage young black brothers and sisters to look at the reality of their own history and to look at uh, the life through a window of truth as they research their own history and their own value of their culture. Uh, here in Lafayette, Louisiana, the whole Cajun concept has gotten ridiculous. Brother, we wake up to Cajun sunshine. You know? <laughs> When did, when, did, when did watermelon become Cajun? You can't, you can't have a Cajun watermelon. You got to go to Popeye's. You, gotta, you, gotta, you go to Popeye's and you get some curdy Cajun fries. You get some curdy, uh, some, some, some uh, buttered Cajun biscuits. Now, listen, we got a university that uses its platform in the millions of dollars with 98% black athletes on the basketball and football teams. Their mascot is raging Cajun. Now, just think if we were to reverse that, if Cajun and nigger are synonymous racial slurs, do you think black folks could use white folks' dollars, tax dollars, and have a nigger university 
or raging a team basketball team that call themselves raging niggas or make have white folks go to Popeyes and buy them some nigga curly fries or some nigga biscuits. You see, the 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 the, the irony of the whole thing is that we accept that our so-called academic and political so-called leaders accept that with no resistance. They might squawk about it now behind closed doors, but not to the point where they alter or challenge the economics that is being used from the black community to promote this and to sustain this. And in fact, many of us in this community think that we are in a weak position to do anything about it. And in reality, the opposite is true. Um, black folks produce most of the revenue that goes to the institution that is the main marketing platform to create culture genocide and historical genocide here in Lafayette. But because of what we spoke of earlier, the mindset of our so-called academic and political people is so inundated with this slave mentality, they don't see that as a strength, but they seek to uh, uh, please, uh, uh, appease white people and make sure they don't rock the boat, not realizing that not only do they, they, they can't rock the boat, the white folks don't even have them in the same boat. And they are still pacifying this issue while our young people are growing more toward not recognizing themselves as black at all. And you got the host of lost, disappointing Negroes that call themselves as an alternative Creoles, which is the same as Malacca. Creole, and that word Creole comes from a Portuguese word called Crowla. And it means the slave who was born in the house. So rather than be black and African, they rather be Cajun or Creole. And this is what our young people are being bombarded with. So my book addresses that to give them an alternative view of their history and culture so that they can have a chance to accept their beautiful black and African selves. And, and I personally stand corrected because I had never heard it until I seen your debate or dispute that you just mentioned with, with the college that you had posted on your site a couple of weeks back. Um, on, one of my hobbies is cooking. I have a cookbook and I actually have a sauce that I created, which is based upon Louisiana culture. And from time to time, I might mention saying it's a Cajun cream sauce, not knowing, but I stand corrected, my brother, and I will not use that term. I, I won't talk about you, brother. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, hey, you know, you you don't know, know right? <laughs> but hey, we're going to wrap up here. One last thing. Uh, this has been power packed. We could go on for days talking about it. I'm definitely going to get your book because I need more details on that for myself so that I could uh, help educate the diaspora. But what other book would you recommend to young men out there that you think that might help transform or liberate them? Brother, there are many, many books that I've read, and, and, but I'm going to mention two. I'm going to mention, first of all, every Black man and woman, regardless of your religious persuasion or what you think about the nation of Islam, you should read the book message to the black man. The second book I recommend that black folks read is the book by Dr. Amos Wilson, the, the late Amos Wilson. 
the uh, falsification of African consciousness. Every other book you read will verify much of what you're going to find in those two books. You see, you might find it in a different uh, expression, a different format, but it's going to come down to some of the fundamental ideas and principles that are expressed in that book, especially message to the black man. Start with that one. And I guarantee you, your religious questions, your economic questions, your, your, your value for history, your value for culture, and your understanding of yourself, getting to the root questions that must be asked and answered is, how much do you know of yourself? We must know thyself. You must know thyself. Brother, it's been real. I appreciate it. You know, much love and respect and continued success. And hopefully we can do this again soon. We can, brother. And let me, let me say this before we close. And I always tell brothers this. If you are Black and African, uh, if you were Black and African yesterday, you are certainly Black and African today. And unless you do something unnatural to yourself, you will be Black and African tomorrow. So make the commitment. Love your beautiful Black and African self. Thank you, brother, for having me. I enjoyed it. And certainly we can do this again. You just let me know of a time and uh, I'll work it out. Definitely. And thank you for doing what you do. Definitely. Hey, just getting started, my brother. So once again, everybody, this is Matters of the Heart and Soul podcast inspired by love, God, relationships, spirituality, justice, culture, family, children, finances, freedom, personal growth, and so much more. And it's all about connecting the heart with the mind. Once again, brother, much love and respect. Peace. Peace, brother. Hotel.